0: welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org, and with me I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of ChristianGospelChurch.org. Together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, this series on Jim Jones has been crazy fun and interesting so far, but today in particular, this is the episode that, um, I'll be honest, I've been waiting to get into because this is the point in my research at which I started to realize that William Branham was uh, there's no better way to say it he was a charlatan and he was doing the same things that others were doing whenever I began to compare the healing tactics of Jim Jones and compare the same to William Branham it's it was very odd to me because I could see Jones was not as refined and you know he w- actually wasn't as good at at what he was doing. But there, there was a, a series of events that would happen. Jones would bring the person up for healing and then that person, he would interact with them, practice some discernment and um, you know get into the healing part. And then for me, reading Jones after the point at which he starts interacting and starts healing, it looked like complete fraud. Anybody in today's world who's looking at this, they're thinking, okay, this guy's just one of these, you know, fly by night faith healers and he's just out to make a buck. And William Branham would never do this. That was the thought process going through my head. But <clears throat> when I started examining what William Branham was doing, you would see the same process flow. You would see, you know, his interaction building up, the healing. And then there was a lot of blank spots on tape. And then the question began to form in my head, well, what if he was doing the same thing? So that's what made me dig a little bit deeper. And um, I won't tell the outcome of it just now, but as we get into this episode, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll dig deeper into how the two worked very similarly
1: It's all very interesting, John. Uh, And like you said, today, this is our fourth episode of kind of our deep dive into Jim Jones and his time in the message. And the last two episodes, we focused on some of the core teachings that Jim Jones had picked up during uh, the latter rain movement and his time working with William Branham. And like you mentioned, uh, there is something else that Jim Jones picked up in his time in the latter rain and working with William Branham. And that was his use of uh, faith healing, sign gifts, and you could maybe even say his revivalism style in general. And um, as we examine that, I was thinking we could start by just kind of walking through the, the revival meetings that William Branham and Jim Jones held together. At least do you know look through the first couple of years that they worked together. Um, and then maybe just kind of talk a little bit about what was going on in Jim Jones's meetings. And so we do know for sure that Jim Jones was exposed to and working with the Latter Rain since at least 1950, and that he became a Latter Rain preacher by 1953. And so he was already a little bit of a minor figure by the time he started working with William Branham. And again, we know for sure they had started working together by 1950. By May of 1955, we have the um, introduction, letters, and the correspondence between William Branham and Jim Jones and Jeff, Joseph Matson bose where they're starting to organize their meetings in May of 1955. Um, and so we, we know for sure they had started working together and holding their meetings by then. And um, the first set of meetings that they held together, um, according to Jeff Gwynn, you can read his book. He mentions the first set of meetings in, in June of 1955, and that would have been just um, – a couple weeks before William Branham made his trip to Germany, though you know the one where he meets Paul Schaefer and and those things happen. Uh, so he's he's starting holding revivals literally with Jim Jones literally two weeks before he meets Paul Schaefer. John, wow. I, as, as I as I started lining these things up, I mean it, it's it's incredible, isn't it? That he starts working with Jim Jones, two three weeks later he meets Paul Schaefer. <laughs> it's uh, unbelievable. Uh, how close in time these things happen together.
0: It is unbelievable. I'm, as you know, working through my manuscript on the book on Paul Schaefer and Colonia Dignidad. And um, I'll be honest, I nearly completed it in had not yet thought about Jim Jones to add, had him to the story. And I had to go back and revise some of the chapters because I started comparing the intersections between the two men and William Branham and compared the timeline. Like you said, the interactions of where they first meet is about the same time, but also the critical events and milestones in Colonia Dignidad and in Jonestown, Guyana are very much the same. They're, you know the the setup for their compounds is almost the same time um jones came in i think it was 1974 whenever he purchased the land but he actually came and was looking for a place to escape the coming apocalypse that william branham had predicted about the same time that uh, paul Schaefer was moving his first crowd of uh, converts into Colonia Dignidad from Germany so yes it's just it's mind-boggling really to think about it and the question that began to form in my mind as I'm going through this we know of those two only because of their climactic events. How many more were there like this in South America and other parts of the world?
1: Yeah. And again, as we, we went through in our last episode, there there is quite a substantial more that removed that moved into the remote areas of the world um, that just never became famous like Jim Jones or or Jonestown or Colonia Dignidad. And so anyways, Jones is, is doing his first revival meetings with William Branham. Um, those set was in Georgia. Um, there's actually tapes from those June 1955 meetings with plenty of blank spots on tape. <laughs> and so we don't, from that, from that, we really don't have a huge understanding of just what Jim Jones' role was in that first set of meetings. Uh, but based on what what starts happening later on, it, it seems very much like Jim Jones was kind of working as a supporting evangelist for William Branham at these meetings, helping build up the crowds, give exhortations, and maybe even be the main speaker at some of the services. And so after those Georgia meetings, um, William Branham went overseas, he went, you know, Meet, meet, meet Paul Schaefer and work with them in Germany. Then he comes back in October, and when he gets back in October of 1955, he holds another series of meetings with Jim Jones, again in 1955. And again, there are tapes, and these are the first set that we start to have pretty good documentation, even what's going on in the meetings. Um, there's, there's tapes, and there's, again, solid documentation in, in the uh, Herald of Faith magazine, uh, and also newspaper advertisements for that set in October 1955. So we can get a pretty good idea of what Jim Jones was hearing, um, which included the apocalyptic doomsday stuff, um, and also the practices and things that he was being exposed to in those meetings. And um, the October meetings, there's actually advertisements in Herald of Faith on those where Jim Jones was being advertised publicly as a as – a, as a participant in the October meetings.
0: Yeah. And there's another thing that I want to point out that the average person may miss. And that is when you have two men of ill intent that are doing this type of thing, you know, these guys who are claiming that they can discern the names and addresses, et cetera, what's wrong with them. And they're using William Branham's using prayer cards. Jim Jones is using prayer cards and There will be people who claim, well, I never submitted a prayer card, and he mentioned me by name. He knew my address. Well, when you have two men of ill intent, this becomes incredibly easier. There is evidence out there that suggests that uh, John G. Lake was doing the same for John Alexander Dowie. Lake was the one who was confirming the alleged healings and or working with Dowie to find what was wrong with people beforehand and um, there's a wealth of information about you know the the tactics of these quote-unquote faith healers we have jim jones who we know was not in any way shape or form a man of god and we have william branham who jim jones himself said that And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, he names his witnesses. He says, William Branham told him, I don't believe a thing in this Bible hardly, but it's a good way to make a living. So you've got these, these two men who are very similar. Well, when William Branham picks a person out of a crowd during these discernment meetings, who's, what's to say that Jim Jones had not told him already beforehand what's wrong with this person, where they live? Jones has all of their information and vice versa. William Branham is lifting Jones up to be a leader in this latter rain revival. Who's to say that William Branham is not also feeding him information? And we have the letters by Joseph Matson bose that are connecting the two, you know, behind the scenes. So there's a lot more going on than meets the eye when you look at the surface of these meetings.
1: Right. And we, we can have some idea of the things that Jim Jones was even preaching during this period while he was, while he was there with them, working with William Branham. Um, Herald of Faith has published uh, multiple. They publish multiple of Jim Jones' sermons in their in their magazine. And what's interesting, if you actually open the magazines and look through them, these. Art, these Jim Jones sermons are on the page after the William Branham sermon, right? Like, William Branham <laughs> sermons are featured in here. Herald of Faith is William Branham's primary publicity tool in these years, okay? And and almost every edition will have a three- or four-page William Branham sermon in it, right? Yeah. And then several other supporting evangelists will get their sermon. Well, Jim Jones sermons are appearing right next to the William Branham sermons in the magazine through these years. Um, and so he's, he's being lifted up, and as you— as you read through his articles, um, kind of these abridged sermons that he was publishing there, um, it's very clear. Jim Jones is preaching all of the same latter rain themes, and um, he's also placing – interestingly, he's placing a special emphasis on communal living and helping the poor in his in his sermons, right? And again, connecting that into, into the latter rain framework. And as you come into 1956, Jim Jones takes an even bigger uh, role in the revivals. Um, We find uh, articles like this in Herald of Faith where Jim Jones is appointed to the um, committee that's responsible for organizing the Lateran conventions. And this is a really important position for Jim Jones. Um, And if if you look at it, like they're representing Pentecostal assemblies of the world – um, in, in this thing. Um, people from Germany are on this board with Jim Jones, people from all over the United States from Canada. This is an international, uh, board for, for, uh, for, for scheduling and organizing ladder rain conventions. And, at this time, John, um, I, William Branham is 100% on board with this group of people, right? Um, and this, this includes this group that Jones is or, you know with and they're organizing the conventions. This includes Joseph Mattson-Bose at this time. He's in this group. All of the independent assemblies of God, the full gospel businessmen are still in this group at this time. Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagan, T.L. Osborne, uh, Tommy Hicks aw rasmussen right on and on all of these people are still they're all aligned in this group at this point in time um and this really represents honestly this is the main trunk of the latter rain movement at this point in time and so just want to make sure i point that out and there's multiple elders from sharon orphanage that are still tied into this group and the herald of faith is their main publication which has absorbed the latter rain messenger at this point and they're in every way this is the main branch of the latter rain movement um that uh that that they're all part of and, and again just for perspective um, Oral Roberts and William Branham are the biggest names here at this time, but this branch of the latter, it also has minor figures, right? Like I said, Kenneth Hagin, T.L. Osborne, Paul Kane are all in this branch with them still, right? So this has this uh, got pretty well the majority of all of the figures who are going to go on and create the charismatic movement. Um, the Word of Faith movement, the Vineyard movement, they're all in this group, right? And Jim Jones is on the board organizing convention meetings okay and so um it's something else all of these groups and all even the message cults the seeds for all of this is is in this group that's operating right here and in 1956 jim jones was on the committee uh that started planning their main conventions and it's going to get even better because in 1957 he's going to become president of the committee
0: (laughs) exactly there's another thing that's happening in the background. Um, I think we covered this in the last episode, but William Branham is basically replacing his campaign team. Uh, you've got the split that's happening <clears throat> between, you know, Voice of Healing and Joseph mattson They get into this very public, <laughs> I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a public verbal fist fight, <laughs> but they're, they're fighting each other. Well, at the same time this is going on, William Branham, is seizing the opportunity. He sees that voice, he no longer really needs Voice of Healing. They've, they've literally crushed his ministry and there was a period of time in which he, he even admits he falls into deep depression over this. But he suddenly sees that he's got this other group of people that he can go after. And this group of people may actually be bigger than Gordon Lindsay. And so he starts revising his stage persona again. We've talked about, I don't know how many different revisions to his stage persona, but 1955, about the time, and we'll get into this further, but about the time that he starts holding meetings with Jones, William Branham revises his stage persona to include the 1933 prophecies. That's a very fundamental change to his ministry.
1: Right, and it, it's just in the few months before he starts working with Jim Jones, so the end of 1954 roughly, where William Branham really turns into the doomsday prophet. Um, and so he is really developing and starting to bring on heavy his doomsday prophet elements as, as he's coming into contact with Jim Jones. Like It's is developing side by side. It, it's pretty interesting. And I, I look forward to our next episode when we do go through the big split that happened in 1957. That's going to blow people's minds, John, when we go through that stuff. It's just, uh, it, it's mind boggling, the stuff that happened in 1957. But as you come into 1956, Joan is becoming increasingly prominent as he uh, worked with William Branham. And um, there's two very large conventions for sure. We know that Jim Jones was involved organizing for William Branham in 1956, and we know that Jim Jones was preaching at both of them too, and I've actually heard eyewitness testimonies of people who were at those conventions, John. Um, The uh, former pastor of my church, Raymond Jackson, was actually at some of those Jim Jones meetings, and he shared some details with us personally back in the 1990s about, about those conventions. And Jim Jones shared the platform with William Branham. Um, Branham headlined the meetings and then Jim Jones was also there to you know to help support it and he also preached too at those meetings Jim Jones did preach with William Branham sitting on the platform next to him John that absolutely happened and William Branham through those events gave People's Temple a very solid solid endorsement we can uh, we find that throughout all the biographies William Branham endorsed Jim Jones and People's Temple as you read his biographies you know like the different ones you can get the raven is probably the best one to look at for this stuff as you read that people's temple only had around a hundred ish members before these 1956 revival meetings with william branham but after these 1956 revival meetings overnight people's temple basically exploded to about a thousand members Right? Yeah. So it's really demonstrable that it was William Branham's endorsement of People's Temple that really caused just the massive growth of the church. And and again, it's all detailed in Jim Jones's biographies. So um, the importance of William Branham to the launching and the popularization of Jim Jones in People's Temple is, is just unquestionable.
0: Yeah. What's really interesting for me is the massive cover-up that happened after all of this you know this explosion with Jones and the the parting of ways to cover up the fact that the two men were working so closely together. I remember whenever I began looking at the the big meeting, the one that <clears throat> the one that made the book, The Raven, where William Branham is the host at the Cato Tabernacle, and. You know, I thought that was the first meeting. Even when I wrote the book, I thought it was the first meeting. But as I continued to dig, I started noticing <clears throat> in the um, in the advertisements for this, it kept saying the second annual. And I started digging through the newspaper. Well, where's, where's the first annual in the newspapers? And it just simply wasn't there. It was not as heavily advertised by Jones, Um you know, like you say, Jones exploded in, in his uh, attendance, and that would have also included in his finances. So there's a clear point at which Jones starts bringing in so much revenue. He can heavily advertise. But <clears throat> when you go back to the 1955, there just isn't as much evidence, and it seems to have been scrubbed. Um, so the fact that they're removing things is... For me, it's eye-opening because you don't remove something if there's nothing wrong, right? And as we'll get into it further, the fact that they have even removed key elements of the discernment strategy from the recordings themselves in the transcripts that we do have, that also for me is eye-opening.
1: Yeah. And so, I think we definitely need to take time and walk through what's going on in some of these meetings. and. One thing that we see playing just that huge role in the ministry of Jim Jones is the use of the sign gifts and faith healing in his ministry. And like what you mentioned at the opening, John, what really interests me on this topic as it relates to Jim Jones is his style. Um, You you know, you can go back and you can listen to the videos of other evangelists. Like you can find the Oral Roberts videos from the fifties. Watch them. You can watch the A. A. Allen or the T. L. Osborne. Right. You can go back and you can watch. Their videos and how that they operated and how they did things, right? And each of them has kind of a, you know, a unique style or a unique personal flair, right, to how they did the gifts of the spirit. And William Branham was the same way. He had a sort of a unique signature style. And when you go and you watch the videos of Jim Jones, there's videos of Jim Jones doing revivals that you can get a hold of too, from you know, roughly the same period, you know, the the early '70s and or late '60s periods of time. And Jim Jones clearly um, was trying to mimic or mirror William Branham's style. Um, Jim Jones' style is is much more akin or much more aligned with the way you see William Branham operating these gifts, as opposed to say Oral Roberts or A.A. Allen. There's he's definitely um, he's definitely patterning himself after William Branham in the style that he's that he's doing these things.
0: He is, and that goes very deeply into even the doctrinal teaching is similar to what was in William Branham's style. And, you know, as we've discussed often, the things that William Branham taught were not his own. He copied them from others. And, um, you know, he was heavily influenced by John Alexander Dowie, And you find Jones, who is, he's basically learning from William Branham as the, you know, Branham at this time is the leader of the, of the post-World War II healing revival. So you have Jones who you can't say really mentored by Branham, but he's learning by example from Branham. And right down to the doctrine, you know, William Branham had the mind body spirit doctrine it's the same doctrine that john alexander dowie used and it's you know if you go back and you watch the old episodes of bonanza or Gunsmoke, you've got the traveling snake oil salesman and they're giving you this thing to think through that doesn't really make sense and it confuses the people and they take the magic elixir well that's how these faith healers operated and they take just little passages from the Bible and they twist it to their own advantage. And, um, you know, here's an example by Jones. He says, many in the church age, so he's got dispensationalism, just like Branham, many in the church age believe in the spiritualization of God, as you believe in the spirit of God, keeping with the spirit, that you may be healed mentally and spiritually. And what's interesting is there's a tape edit there in the transcript from Jones. When you see god in the material realm then you get healed in your physical realm and then the deliverance comes in the physical body Freedom comes in the natural. We get freedom from poverty, if you want, from disease. If you apply it to the Spirit of God, your spirit will be healed. And if you apply it to the mind of God, your mind can be healed. But if you apply it to the body of God, then your body will be healed. And, you know, you can't say that we have this exact quote from William Branham, but if you take sermons from William Branham that's explaining this teaching, Jones is basically just summing up what he has learned from Branham and Branham has learned it from Bosworth and Bosworth from Dowie and Dowie from who knows where. But, um, as we'll get into this deeper in this podcast, there's a strategy behind what Jones is doing. And that strategy, it's more than self-promotion. It's almost self-deification. And when you run the two men their doctrines in parallel, you see that there was a method to their madness.
1: Yeah. Now, the reason that I find Jim Jones' style similarities to William Branham so interesting is that there's actually been pretty extensive investigations into Jim Jones' practices, both before and especially after the Jonestown Massacre, right? And investigators uncovered pretty well how jim jones was faking most everything right and it was incredibly deceptive what jim jones was doing and if you get the raven um this has a lot of detailed accounts from those investigations about how jim jones faked all of this stuff all the fakery and what happened was um that somewhere along the way jim jones got reported to the indiana department of health And the State Board of Psychology uh, launched an investigation into what Jones was doing, and they sent doctors and investigators to People's Temple to try and uncover what was going on, Um, and that – those investigations they played a, really also a key role in Jim Jones finally closing down people's temple in Indianapolis right uh, was because he was trying to escape those in what those investigators were were clueing into on on the orig- in the original people temple location in Indianapolis so the state the government itself investigated this stuff while he was still alive and operating and uncovered um, some details about this that we can share with you
0: Right. And following the pattern of Branham, Bosworth and Dowie, you have the same thing you had, you know, with Dowie, the government was stepping in because people were dying. People were dying from Dowie's alleged cures that, you know, by the masses, we have accounts of them, you know, just the number of people who they whisked away from Dowie's complex to the morgue. And, you know, under the cover of night, so nobody knew, to the extent that they weren't even reporting all the deaths in Dowie's sect, the government had to step in, and, you know, Dowie was forced to change a little bit, not to the extent that the others did, but towards the end of his life, you can't kill people and just continue getting away with it. So he was forced to change. Well, by the time Bosworth steps in, it's even, there's even more government scrutiny because this was not unique what these men were doing. You had faith healers by the hundreds, just like the snake oil salesman in Bonanza. And if they tell you not to go to the doctor or not to take medicine and you die from it, they're liable. So by the, time, by the time Branham starts into this, you won't find Branham telling people this because he knows he will go to prison for it. But what you will find, which is, Charles, this is just the most fascinating part of today's episode. You will find cases where both Jones and Branham will tell people that they have diseases that they did not even know that they had because there is no legal responsibility for a disease that you do not know that you have. (laughs) You cannot, you cannot sue somebody, a family cannot sue somebody if they die from a disease that, well, there's no medical proof that they had it. And you find examples of Jones getting up and saying that you are suffering from something and you don't know what it is, but it's cancer. And you've got cancer and, and, by golly, I'll heal you from this, you know. We find the same thing. In fact, we have seen, I think we've covered it in prior episodes, and I tried to look it up to get the exact quote. I can't find it at the moment. But you'll find testimonies by quote unquote healed people, even in Voice of Healing, where they said, and I did not even know I had this disease. Praise God, I'm healed for it. And I did not even know that I had it. Well, that's what these men were doing. And the fact that Jones is doing this and being, you know, learning, maybe mentored, but learning from William Branham how to do this It shows that there's a clear strategy behind the scenes, and I've not dug too deeply in Oral Roberts and some of the other sermon transcripts, but I'll bet if we dig into each and every one of the men involved in this movement, you're going to find the same thing. Praise God I'm healed of this disease that I did not even know that I had.
1: If you listen carefully to the prayer lines, right? a lot of the people are coming up they've got something wrong but like you mentioned they don't even know what's wrong they've never been to no doctor these people don't believe in doctors a lot yeah. of them they've never been to the doctor so there there's no diagnosis you know um back in these days the average Pentecostal believed the doctor was the devil right still yeah. these people were not going to the doctor most of them there would be so they had no sort of diagnosis and they'd come up and and william Branham has discernment right and he We'll tell them what's wrong with them um and and you listen um he says you're having this and that problem well it's it's lady troubles oh it's a nervous condition oh it is uh it's cancer oh it's a rupture it's a you know and he'd have all of these really and he had some really weird way of describing some of this stuff, John. some <laughs> of the some of the stuff that he diagnosed people of is don't even exist. I think he just, you know, invented it in his head, these things.
0: During that era, they were not as educated in medical science, the The general population. So they would, they would come for healing of a female trouble. Well, it was this broad thing, right? I mean, the female anatomy, you can take any, anything that, a female has wrong with them and you can say well that's a female trouble well if you mention this to a female who's in your healing line who is obviously sick of something well the uh-huh. the woman's gonna immediately say yes I have a female trouble I am a female how did you know
1: <laughs> they healed a lot of people of female troubles that was actually one of his more common <laughs> diagnoses was female troubles exactly um, which is a whole interesting thing even to think about but the uh, but but he would he ulcers was another thing that was pretty common well oh you you don't know this but you got an ulcer you know yeah. and you're – this ulcer and this ulcer is brought on by your stress like he would even walk them through how this happened all right you've got a nervous condition and this nervous condition's caused an ulcer and this ulcer is caused this which is caused that which is bringing on a cancer right and like he would go into these elaborate explanations you know which things that just uh, it just don't even work that way, you know. When you when you look at you know medical science and stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, this stuff's happening. So let me share a couple of the fake healings that Jim Jones pulled off. John, again, these are documented. They they investigated these, and one way is that he would plant people from his inner circle in the congregation um, and in the and in the prayer lines. And they'd be playing along with him, so he'd actually have actors in the yeah. role of people coming to get healed, and they'd come on stage. He'd pray for them, he would heal them, and the people watching had no idea that they were just part of the act that were playing along. And if you're out of town, a long way from home, um, you you would have no idea that you're just watching actors. And it's the same thing, you know, with with the deep call of the deep. I mean, how do we know that some of those people weren't actors when we we don't know, right? We really don't know.
0: We actually Um, do know, we've got some documented, and I'll put one up on the screen here, but we have people who were healed of the same disease multiple times during these healing revivals.
1: Yeah. There is definitely indications that William Branham may have had an entourage traveling with him that he was healing over and over. There There is some evidence and indications of that. And so um, when the state – anyways, one of the one of the popular things that Jim Jones would do, which William Branham did the same thing. He would heal them of cancer, and then they would <coughs> cough up their cancer, or their cancer would fall off them. You even yes. see that. Did you notice her goiter fell off or her cancer fell off or whatever? So that was a very – that was something Jim Jones did quite a bit too. And so the state um, – got some tissue samples of the cancers that were being (laughs) coughed up and falling off of people, and the state discovered that the cancers were actually chicken gizzards. Yes. Um, So it wasn't really cancer falling off of people. It was just an act, and they were using raw meat from the grocery store um, to fake cancers coming off of people.
0: Yeah, for me, Charles, the cancer, I think, is the big deal when you think about the strategy that's going on behind the scenes. Today, if you're not influenced by this false religion, cancer is, you know, it's just a disease, and if you go to the clinics, they can maybe not cure you, but they can extend your life for a very, very long time. Um, I know a lot of people who have been, uh, their cancer has been in remission for years because they go to the doctor and medical science, can work with the cancer and they can help you survive it well back during that era that medical science was in its infancy and it was the number one fear by these people and it was used which i'll get into in a minute it was used as a strategy really to um to bring the people into this fear that If something's wrong with them and they don't know what it was and they've been to the doctors and the doctors can't figure out what's wrong well these guys had an advantage they could say well your doctor doesn't know what it's wrong because they've not tested you for cancer you know that you have cancer and like you said Jones was using a strategy Um, one of the sermons and I'll put it up on the screen but he says it's terrible these they smell horribly and they taste horribly as they loose often nearly always they do and he's basically he's he's getting them to spit out the cancer right and if you talk to any of the old timers in william branham's message cult of personality they'll tell you that they watched cancers just fall from the body in fact Mm -hmm. i think if you look at the deep call it to the deep i think there's one on there somewhere, uh, somebody has pointed it out to me, where a cancer is falling from the body. And people who are indoctrinated in this belief system, they believe that this is possible and they're not really thinking about how a cancer works. Cancer spreads like, it's almost like a spider web through your body. It gets into the cells and the cells network and spread and... I mean, think about it, Charles, if I've got a cancer, cancerous growth as a tumor and it's in my side, it's not in the stomach. It's It may be next to my stomach, but very seldom is it actually in the passageway that would come out of the esophagus, out of the mouth. Well, the people didn't understand this. People back then did not understand that it can't travel that route it can't go out of your mouth like they're saying they have brain cancer it's not going to fall out of your mouth right even though the brain is in the same location as the mouth that's not how it works and jones is doing this thing but worse than that because of the fear that's going on behind the scenes we have william branham who is claiming that you can get cancer without even knowing it he's saying things like worry causes cancer. He, in fact, one of the quotes, he says, God wants you to be happy. The human heart was made to be happy. Worry will cause cancer. Temper will cause cancer. And to this audience, Charles, they're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I have worry. Or, oh my gosh, I get anger very easily. I'll bet I cause myself a cancer. Well, that's what these guys are doing. If they can plant the idea that you can give yourself this disease and your doctor, well, I never told my doctor that I worried a lot. I never told my doctor that I have, I'm easy to a temper. Well, suddenly they've made this connection mentally that they can be cured of this disease that they did not know they had. And it Jones is doing it. Obviously the government has investigated, like you said, well, Branham was doing it too. And whether that, you know, whether they investigated him in the same way, I don't know. It hasn't surfaced yet, but they're both doing the same exact thing.
1: Yeah. You know, it it was a pretty common thing. And this is, um, a, again, uh, comes out of similar to positive confession. It's kind of reverse positive confession. You know, if you, if you have negative thoughts and negative feelings neg- right then that can bring about negative things in your body right that's kind of uh that that also comes out of uh you'll find those streams of thought in, in new thought quimbyism stuff as well you know good thoughts bring good things bad things bring bad things and um you i'll find the same thing you know even in the churches that i came from john it was still a very common thing that You know, if you're thinking negative, you're going to give yourself this, that, or the other. You know, you're going to bring on your own problems with the way you think about things. Um, And yeah, William Branham kind of used those same tactics on people um, because in one way it then set up the counter. And now if you will throw those beliefs away and now come believe and have faith and positive confession in what I'm talking about, now you can undo what your bad thoughts have done, right? You can undo what your unbelief and lack of faith has done by now turning to positive faith.
0: Yeah. And you know, for like you and I, we were indoctrinated in this Branham style religion. When you look at the tapes of Jones, like I said earlier in the show, you look at this thing that's going on in, in today's world, people would, people just wouldn't buy this. <laughs> say, no way. This man's a fraud. I have watched too many episodes of Gunsmoke. I know, <laughs> I know what this guy's doing. And we're indoctrinated to think William Branham was different than this but let me read an example here this is from a William Branham transcript and interestingly it's in 1957 in March this is during the same time that he's working with Jones and again Branham is convincing the people that if they worry a lot or if they're angered a lot they'll give themselves a cancer and he's William Branham says look at this man he's extremely nervous, but his nervousness is a worry that he's having. And that is because he's, oh, he's shadowed. It's a cancer. That's right. It's a cancer. And that cancer is on your left shoulder. You believe me to be his prophet, then you're in the presence, not of your brother, but you're in the presence of him. Mr. Phillips, do you believe that? Now, if this were Jones talking, there would be the segment of bubbling up the cancer and spitting it out, right? And Jones would drop the gizzard or whatever it is. Right after the statement, he says, Mr. Phillips, do you believe that blank spot on tape? (laughs) So we don't know what happened. There's no, you know, that audio recording is missing for some reason. We don't know. I have to say, Charles, with the thousands of blank spots on tapes, if the recording equipment was that faulty for William Branham, why did they not buy new recording equipment? (laughs) But there are thousands of these and you'll find almost every one of the blank spots by and large is during these segments when he's doing this thing. So we have to assume that Mr. Phillips spit out the cancer and we can assume that legitimately because people like my grandfather mentioned that people were spitting out cancers or cancers was falling from their bodies. William Branham himself mentions cancers fell out. So Mr. Phillips spit it out or whatever he did when he cured. And then the the tape continues, Mr. Ollie Phillips too. That's right. That's your name. So we don't know what happened in between him being diagnosed and cured and giving the name. Something happened, but there's a blank spot on that tape.
1: Another um, example of the links that they would go to um, for this. So there there was a woman one time, and again, you just read The Raven. All these things are detailed out. There there was a woman, and she – they drugged her, and she passed out, right? So Jim Jones, her team, they drugged her, she passed out. And while she's passed out and unconscious, so this is outside of a church service, they wrapped a cast around her leg. And when she woke up, they told her she fell, she broke her leg, they took her to the hospital, they got a cast put on her leg, right? So she had no idea what they did to her, right? And then at the meeting that night, um, Jim Jones healed her, okay? Uh, And he took the cast off of her, and she runs around and jumps and shouts for joy, right? She's been healed, hallelujah. And she runs around thinking she's been healed and given her testimony, but really... Uh, Jim Jones faked the whole thing. Right. And and that that's the extent to which Mm. they were going to to bring about these um, fakery in these things. Right. They were even like this is even more than convincing somebody. Right. This is this is totally fraudulently convincing people (laughs) that something is wrong with them so then they can heal them in the meeting. But those kind of things were going on to produce fake miracles for Jim Jones meetings. Right, And the right. number of things like that in these investigations is shocking.
0: When you think about this era of Pentecostalism, and you think about these healing sects, the first thing in your mind goes to are the snake-handling churches. The snake-handling churches, they're testing God. They believe that the last chapter of the book of Mark is instructing them to take up a snake. If you handle deadly things, you will not be touched. These people, whenever they had something like this, they would— you know, try to test God and prove their faith so that they would elevate their faith so that they could heal their bodies. That's the way in which this type of religion worked. The thing that is clearly missing from all of those studies and journals that I've read that talk about the snake handling sect, there was another element to this. It was the poison drinking sect. (laughs) The poison drinking churches were so widespread during the early years of its of that type of religion spreading <clears throat> that there were actually Christ, quote unquote, Christian quote-unquote <laughs> Christian poison companies that would produce and sell this you know arsenic or whatever it was that these people would drink and obviously it was diluted a bit so that they didn't immediately kill themselves so they could buy more of this stuff and people would test their faith and Think about this, Charles. As you're testing your faith with a poison, you're getting sick. You're actually ingesting poison and you're getting sick. And you're doing it because you're already sick. So these people are drinking poison to test and prove their faith to God so that they can elevate their faith and then they can heal themselves. Well, they're causing things to get worse. And then once they claim they're healing, when they stop, the, stop drinking the poison, they instantly start feeling better. Well, we have evidence, clear evidence, of William Branham and Roy Davis drinking the poison and testing their faith by God to the extent that Branham claims that he's got, uh, how did he describe it? He He said we've got notary public statements <laughs> on drinking the poison. So he's doing this, and think about the number of people that they are healed by this thing that William Branham's doing, and then they go home, and then they they give these testimonies, and after this, suddenly I started feeling better in ways that I cannot describe. Well, yes, if they're drinking the poison to test their faith, we don't know that they all were, but we know that this was going on, and we know William Branham was involved with it. He says so himself.
1: Yeah. You know, uh another thing about it you know is the fake discernments or the discernments the revealing of the hearts and minds and jim jones like you mentioned he did use prayer cards like william branham did we know he did that um but the investigators also turned up even more details into how he was pulling some of that off um and jim jones basically had little private detectives working for him (laughs) and they would they would um Report back to Jones. You know, they'd go out, they'd collect details from people in the crowd, in the audience, or even people they knew were going to be coming. Um, And then they would report those details back to Jones so he could use it in his discernments. And at the meetings, the ushers um, who were in on it, you know, who were the detectives, you know, they would point out the people in the crowd like spotters in the crowd or they would go and get encourage the people to come up and get in the prayer line or what have you right and they would organize it to help jim jones um know who and where to point and and so forth with with his discernments and there really was absolutely nothing supernatural about it right um jim jones just had a whole team helping him pull it off kind of like you know the magician's assistant in magician tricks really and now just just because that jim jones was a fake right that don't necessarily mean william Branham was a fake you know that would be a jump in logic but for me looking at jim jones what it does prove is just how easy it is to fake all of this stuff right you can you can fake a meeting with people leaving it believing they've been healed You can do that and you can fake a meeting where the people walk away thinking you've revealed hearts and minds and did discernments you can do that you can fake cancer falling off people you can fake goiters shrinking away you can fake healing broken bones right and it's all sadly very easy to pull off right and jim jones is the proof of how easy this thing is to pull off and fool thousands and thousands yeah. of people, right? And since it's so easy to fake all this stuff, John, you know, at the very least, we should be very cautious about using miracles or gifts of the spirit as some sort of a way to to measure the quality of a ministry, you know, because it's entirely possible that things that look like signs and wonders and miracles is nothing but a, nothing but a hoax. It's entirely possible to hoax this stuff. Um, and and if and if that is the basis on which um, we would vindicate a prophet, then Jim Jones is a vindicated prophet, right? And so it's it it's pretty. Uh, I think that to me is something that is just a huge sign of caution that flashes when I when I look at all these aspects of Jim Jones. These are not things that can be reliably trusted to authenticate a servant or. Of god
0: yeah and the faking of healings really bothers me charles my grandfather told the story often from behind the pulpit that william branham was <laughs> there were people who would go up to be healed of one leg shorter than the other one and you know at the time i i heard this as a i was probably 15 or 14 or 15 the first time i heard my grandfather say it at the time, I, I thought, well, that's amazing, and you know, your mind goes all these different directions. Why did the leg not grow fast as the other one, and and what must it have looked like whenever the you know the leg suddenly grew, and you you're actually picturing somebody going up to the platform with you know, a foot or Stump. a foot and a half, yeah, stomp or you're, you're kind of expecting this thing, him to grab the leg and just pull it down, and suddenly the guy stand, the way that these ministers describe it. But they're not describing what they're actually doing. These these guys go up to, you know, they're plants, obviously, but they go up to be healed, and they sit them down in a chair. You can find, I think there's a video of A.A. Allen doing this, but they sit with their back twisted just a little bit, and to the audience, they can clearly visibly see one to two inches missing of the leg because the back is torqued. And what happens is, the divine healer prays, and they watch, and the guy just starts doing this. Well, while they do that, the people twist their backs. And some of them are so good at it that, I think it's in the A.A. Allen video, it's one of one of the videos I watched, You can see the expression on the person's face and they don't know that (laughs) that their leg is shorter he says oh i see the problem it's because your leg's shorter and the guy's like what and he sits him down and and he the the faith healer places him and twists his body and the guy's like oh my gosh i did not even know my leg was one inch shorter than the other one and the the guy starts pulling and straighten and the guy stands up and praise god he's healed of a shortened leg well we know William Branham was doing this. You have people like my grandfather who were claiming that they were doing this. With well, Jim Jones and his sermons, this is one of the, the strategies that he had for, quote-unquote, healing the shortened leg.
1: Yeah. Let me quote a Bible verse here, John, uh, Matthew twenty four twenty four. Jesus said, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive if possible if it were the very elect i have warned you ahead of time <laughs> thank you jesus <laughs> <laughs> you know so jesus warned us ahead of time that false prophets can come and do great signs and wonders right even that it would could potentially de- it be so deceptive right it even deceive you know the 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 very elect the the brightest and minds in the world right um, the the best and brightest could be even be deceived by some of this stuff. So signs and wonders, John. And Jesus told us signs and wonders are as much a sign of a false prophet as a real prophet. You know that? Yeah, Jesus said that himself. And so so uh, to me, you know, I think Jim Jones's point in case that that what Jesus said is is true. Um, signs, wonders, miracles, is not something you can reliably use as a means to to identify some true servant of god and so one more important thing john i think we should look at here as we keep going is kind of regarding jim jones's preaching style so jim jones preaching style was also remarkably similar to william branham right even more so than say you know orl roberts or A.A. allen right william branham had this manner of talking nice soft and mellow Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden big loud explosive (laughs) angry yelling screaming you know um, yelling you know and Jim Jones was very much like William Branham in his preaching style Uh, very much like even honestly a whole lot of message preachers we know and John uh, (laughs) a number of people who have um, spent time examining cults say that jim jones style of preaching was conducive for thought control you know especially when the crowds were tired or short of sleep and after the jonestown massacre you know when all those people were killed there was a whole lot of studies and investigations into the whole thing to try and figure out just exactly how that could have happened because the jonestown massacre was a pretty strong evidence that there is some mechanism that exists that can be used to mass persuade people to believe something that's not true, right? Yeah. And, and even to take really radical actions based on these false things that they've been convinced to believe, right? There has to have been some explanation for how Jim Jones got all those people to, to kill themselves, right? Because that's not normal. That's not a normal thing we see happen. And so there's been a lot of studies into the topic at this point, and as you read through them, Like, there's quite a bit of agreement um, in the sources and the studies that there's something about constantly exposing yourself to loud, boisterous, authoritarian style of speaking that will cause people to suspend critical thinking and just accept and obey what they hear.
0: Right. And, you know, I really thank God that William Branham died before that... The cult exploded into something similar to the Jonestown Massacre. It's a terrible, tragic thing that happened to the, you know, to People's Temple. And William Branham was taken off the scene before something like this happened. However, had he still been alive and some horrific climactic event did happen in his cult of personality, the same government studies would have occurred after William Branham's death into the message cult of personality and by extension you know william branham is the leader of this movement so by extension it's binding to every other one of the faith healers who are either mentored by or copying what what william branham is doing well because branham died before the government could investigate what william branham was doing there aren't the similar level of studies as to what is happening with jim jones so It's it's really problematic in that we don't have that research. However, we do have the research from Jones' uh, ministry, and you can find that on um, jonestown.sdsu.edu. So you can compare what they've studied with Jones and then go back and compare it with Branham, and you're going to find that most of their assessment that they have applied to Jones' ministry, it also applies to William Branham's ministry.
1: Yeah, you know, I've I've read quite a bit about how thought control works since I left the message, and uh, it's really a lot different than what I would have imagined. And, again, according to the books, the way it works is actually by getting people to control their own thoughts, right? You have to convince yeah. people something like the greatest battle ever fought is the battle of your mind, right? <laughs> and you convince <laughs> them that uh, if they fight to keep certain thoughts out of their mind, it's going to benefit them in some way, Right. So, for example, in the message, if you have faith, all these good things will happen to you, right? If you have faith, you'll be healed. If you have faith, you'll be blessed. If you have faith, you'll go to heaven, right? And then the opposite of faith is unbelief. So, and if you have unbelief, you can't have any of those things. You can't have healed. You can't have a better life. You can't go to heaven. In fact, you're going to go to hell if you have unbelief, right? So, you've got to fight the unbelief in your mind, right? And so, people get trained to do thought blocking. And so they'll, they'll get to the point where they'll block anything that the teach, preacher tells them is unbelief, right? for example. And if certain thoughts start to come into their mind, um, they, they will thought block their own thoughts. And gradually, people doing that over time will get to the point where they'll block all of the key elements that will allow them to think critically. Like in my sect, for example, John. You know, the, the pastor can pull his pants down and show his private parts to kids, right? Um, that was going on in the sect of the message where I come from. And people are so trained in thought control, they'll not permit their mind to think critically about what is happening here, right? That would be unbelief, right? And so you yeah. can get people to that state um, where they – something very obviously bad has happened right here. But they will not permit their mind to think critically about it because they've through thought blocking, that is a path that leads to unbelief. And when you combine that level of thought control, you know, with loud, authoritarian style speaking, you can really gradually radicalize the people. And that's exactly what Jim Jones did for sure.
0: Yeah, it's horrific what the ministers in this cult of personality and <clears throat> all of its splinter groups do but there's a strategy behind what they do. And I too have studied, I'm no psychologist, but I've studied extensively what they did to our minds and how they did it. And it's like you said, it's, it's not that they're controlling their minds in the way that you see in the sci-fi shows or movies. They're literally planting seeds that you yourself develop in your mind and they just kind of gently nudge them in the direction that they want them to go. So, for instance, uh, you've probably seen it, Charles, but in the comment threads on these, even these podcasts, we'll mention that William Branham had claimed to be Elijah. And there is not evidence anywhere in the transcripts where he blatantly says, I am Elijah but the cult of personality has been convinced by and large that he was the return of Elijah you'll even find on the you know on the cult's websites they'll say this is the Elijah of this day well those same people that believe that he's Elijah that call him Elijah will comment on our comment feeds and say well William Branham never said he was Elijah but they're the ones who are, who are claiming that he is right And that is because William Branham never came out and said it, but he planted the seed that Elijah displayed these characteristics in his personality. And Elijah had these very evident things in his ministry. And Elijah did this, that, or the other. And then they go into this segment during the quote unquote sermon where they describe, where William Branham described his things that he did that were just exactly like he said Elijah did. And that's part of the mind control and manipulation. He's not saying that he's Elijah, but he is unduly influencing you to believe that he is or was Elijah.
1: Yeah, you know, so it takes time too. It takes time for this to happen. You know, it took William Branham about twenty five years before he had created a cult of personality, right? It takes time. Like it's not this isn't something you can just do overnight. Same thing with Jim Jones, right? It took about thirty years for Jim Jones to get his followers to the point where they were so, you know, under his spell, you know, so under that persuasion that they would all commit suicide, right? It don't happen all at once. It takes time to get the people to totally suspend critical thinking and to buy into blindly following their leader. And if you look at all the groups, you know, that, that have done these sort of things, like Heaven's Gate, like Waco, right? It takes generally a few decades to get people that radicalized. It's not something that happens overnight. It's a slow, steady um, building process Um, to get people there and we've seen it play out over and over again if you if you if you take any deep study of these cult groups that have done this you know it's all the same pattern right it's all the same methods um the doctrine itself just varies a little bit but it's the same methodology that they all use to do this right and you can like you mentioned what you see jim jones doing um william Branham was definitely doing that same stuff in his later years um and I could list you off um, a long list of message preachers I know that do the exact same stuff today. It's still going on.
0: It really bothers me Charles when you think about what they did to our heads because it's you know it, we can't say that they locked us into a room and like you see in the World War 2 movies, you know, with Nazi Germany where they're they're brainwashing by they're showing all of these lights flashing and these videos and these snapshots of images and implanting the images in our head visibly through our eyes. Instead, they did it through our ears. They did the same exact thing that the Germans were doing to brainwash people in these concentration camps, etc. They were doing the same exact thing through our ears that the Germans did through the eyes. And, you know, it just, it really angers me because as a father. I subjected my children to this. I literally let, I mean, if you put the comparison out there, I literally let the Nazi-style regime take my children and do the same thing to their minds that they did in Nazi Germany.
1: Yeah. You know, and if you can convince somebody that thinking about this category of thoughts is going to send you to hell is going to destroy you is going to kill you is the boogeyman is it's an existential threat to you to even start to think about this thing yeah you will not think about that you will you will be trained to suppress those things right and that is it if you start thinking in the mess you know where i come from if you start thinking that uh, the preacher up there who's supposed to be god's voice is not actually god's voice You're going to go to hell, right? So you don't even allow yourself to go down the path of thinking, wait a minute, is this guy lying to me and deceiving? You can't even start down that thought of of, – you can't even start down that thought trail because of the thought blocking that's all been imparted into you. So, John, one of the last things I think I do want to bring into this episode is the ecstatic experiences that people had at People's Temple. And at People's Temple, they would, um, they would dance, they would shout, they would sing, they'd speak in tongues, they'd be slain in the Spirit, they'd be drunk in the Spirit, right? All those kind of things that were very common in the latter rain movement. People's Temple had all of that. And John, uh, I know an interesting thing for me is once upon a time the Branham Tabernacle and most of the met early message churches had all that too. Uh, yeah. And I know some of the sects, John, like the Thunder sect or even the sect I come from, we, they're still that way, right? They they have very ecstatic services and people having all kinds of experiences all through those services.
0: It's really hard to believe that my grandfather's church used to be that way. When you think about my grandfather and the way he conducted his sermons, quote unquote sermons, they were really just, you know, telling life stories that was building up to him, telling the guy back in the room, okay, brother, press play on that tape machine. And then they would play these tapes. I mean, all through my life, that's all they did. And um, when you think about how the church transitioned, the, the children that grew up into the message that I grew up into never saw what it really was. We only know what these elders or these, you know, Unfortunately, I have to say, my grandfather was a cult leader. We know what these cult leaders are telling us about the quote unquote message. In all of this history that you and I have expanded on, we did not even know existed because they're not telling the details that give you enough information to make the critical examination of their assessment of William Branham and his ministry. Had we known all the facts, I'll be honest, I I would have left as like 12 years old. At 12 years old I'm thinking, you know, I I know enough to know that this guy's a snake oil salesman, but because they didn't give us the information, there's no way that I could have made that decision.
1: Yeah, the, the Branham Tabernacle was that way up until William Branham preached church order, which I think was about 1963 when that happened, and there was there was all kinds of people I knew them that sp- spoke in tongues and ran and shout and jumped and danced in the spirit at the Branham Tabernacle, <laughs> and uh, after a church order uh, they all came to my church. <laughs> wow, <laughs> they they that that was uh you know the people who enjoyed those things you know Brother Branham basically said there's a back room you can do this in the back room, and the people who you know wanted to do it in the open service they generally found their way to other message churches where those things were still permitted. Um, so um. Yeah, so that I grew up, I grew up with that, John. That was standard service where I come from for for quite a bit of of the time. Um, yeah, people dancing, shouting, and you know what's what's really crazy, John, in the Jim Jones stuff. I found is that it is even possible to fake all of that too, right? And through the Jim Jones biographies, we have some insight into how it's possible to fake that stuff. We know through some of these accounts that the cults put drugs in the water fountains, John. And the people dancing and shouting, they was thinking it was all from God, but really they was high on drugs from the water fountain. (laughs) And they thought they was having supernatural experiences, but really they was high on drugs. Yeah. And People's Temple was big into drugging people, John. And after the Jonestown Massacre, they found a huge mountain of drugs that they had been using there. And people, you know, dance, shout, speak in tongues. People was they were, thought they were seeing healings, right? Gifts of the Spirit were operating. And to them, that was all some great proof that Jim Jones was a great prophet of God. And you can even watch the Jim Jones revival tapes um, where they're speaking in tongues and shouting and having the ecstatic experiences, um, which look a whole lot like church services that I'm familiar with sitting in. Yeah. But at least in part it was just a hoax like they they were some of those people were high on drugs that no doubt you know jim jones and them had unleashed on them and you know miracles happening on stage people being drugged and you can read the biographies about jim jones that spell all of this stuff out and john it just blows my mind um watching those revival tapes it's- about what happened how that could happen in those services you know just the same things i saw my whole life John, it blows my mind. Um, it just blows my mind. And I, you know, you can get, you can watch the revival tapes of Jim Jones. You can see what's happening in their services. It's the exact same same kind of stuff I saw my whole life. Like watching those Jim Jones revivals, and the way the people are reacting in the crowds. I cannot discern any difference between their behavior and, you know, it it looks just as real to me. I'll put it that way as what I thought was real. Um, uh, concerning those things, you know, where I've, where I've come from, it looks identical. And to me, that that's just shocking that, that you discernibly visibly, you cannot tell the difference between people high on drugs in a church service (laughs) and people, um, you know, who are maybe having something genuine. Right. And to me, just to realize that um, and to realize just how, you can bring on those kind of ecstatic experiences through fakery and just how easy it was for Jim Jones to pull that off. It shocks me, John, that just shocks me. And I know it's something else. It really is. One last thing, John, before we close up this episode, I wanted to point out too, we have a a letter. I know you've pointed this letter out before. This is a handwritten letter that we have um, from Jim Jones to brother Jackson, Earl Jackson, and in this letter, Jim Jones is telling Brother Jackson about the message, about how wonderful and important the message is and, and how, uh, you know, Jim Jones is inviting him to come join people's temple through the years. And Jim Jones is advertising himself. I just want to bring this home as a message preacher, and he is encouraging people to believe the message, right? Jim Jones was a message preacher, a latter rain Message preacher Jim Jones was in the message, right? You know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he was in the message while he was doing all this kind of stuff that we're talking about today. He was in the message doing the kind of stuff we're talking about today. He was in the message faking healing, he was in the message faking discernments, he was in the message drugging his people into ecstatic experiences, he was in the message um, implementing this mind control stuff, right? He was doing all of that while he was in the message, right, working with William Branham is when he was also doing this kind of stuff. And John, it it shocks me because I know people I went to church were sitting there right there while Jim Jones was doing that alongside William Branham.
0: Yeah, it was the same years, according to the timeline, that my own grandfather became a message preacher. So my grandfather joined the message at the point in time in which it was a joint jim jones william branham message and the fact that there are so many similarities to what's going on it it not only angers me charles but it scares me if you think about had william branham not died what would have happened and it scares me further to see the extent in which there are several ministers and i won't name their names but they're showing more signs of the mental breakdown or the mental instabilities that Jones had right before the Jonestown massacre. So it really bothers me that things continue to progress and it's not progressing in the right direction.
1: Yeah. You know, John, as we bring this episode to close, I know to me, this is a very sobering episode um, because you can't examine Jim Jones' ministry and read his biographies and watch the documentaries and walk away from that without realizing that it's possible for someone like Jim Jones, who was a lifelong psychopath, a lifelong sadistic monster, right? Someone like that, it's possible for someone like that to pull off signs, wonders, miracles, healings, discernments, and totally convince tens of thousands of people that what they were seeing was real, right? And I think that's a very sobering thought to realize that is what Jim Jones was. That's what he did. That's what he got away with, right? And for all our listeners in the message, I I do hope you'll really think about these things, right? And take some time to look into how cults work. Now, go watch Jim Jones documentaries. Um, Listen to uh, some Steve Hassan videos about how cults work or Rick Allen Ross videos about how those work, the experts on these things. Just see how cults work, how they implement thought control and thought blocking, how they – Um, lock people into a a mindset and how they use ecstatic experiences and how they use um, all of these different things um, to hoodwink people and, and authoritarian style speaking, you know, to, to control them and to lock them into a, a, a line of thought where they just will believe and accept and do anything their leader tells them.
0: It is sobering. It's, you know, honestly, the more I think about this, the sicker I become to my stomach because they were doing the exact same things to our minds that Jim Jones did to the minds of the people at in People's Temple. And Charles, it just, I'm glad we got out when we did. I think if you compare the message that I left to what I see today, it's by far worse and even more controlling and destructive. So it's heading down the same trajectory. I just hope, Charles, that before some event happens, I hope that people can wake up and snap out of it.
1: Yeah, me too, John. I I really am worried and concerned for a whole lot of people in there. And like you said, you know, some some sects of the message are... Closer to benign than others, right? Some sects are, there's even, there's a few in there even that maybe are trying to reform, but we know that's not possible. And the ones who are trying to reform it, uh, you all are going to be expelled and harshly thrown out. <laughs> and you'll be over here on this side with us chatting about this in the, you know, at a certain point in time. So enjoy your journey, right? It's not going to be fun, <laughs> but we'll be here to be your friends when you reach our side. Um, but the, the, that, there's people in there trying to reform, right? Uh, but the the ones with their hands on the lever of power in most of these groups, and especially, you know, the larger sects, it, it is becoming pretty, pretty ugly in these churches, um, and it, it's heading in a, an increasingly dangerous way.
0: It is, and, you know, we're, we're not there yet, but we're heading down the path in the Jones uh, section of the podcast where we're going to describe how it gets levels worse, so… If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william brannhamorg and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming.